This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Dive into The Walrus, Canada's top general interest magazine. Enjoy a carefully curated selection of engaging articles, essays, and more voiced by professional narrators. Listen to Voices of the Walrus today on your favorite podcasting app or platform. Hi, I'm Becky Zarr, and welcome to my podcast called The Blind Reality. I'm super excited to be here. However, if I'm going to be completely honest, I'm also a little bit nervous. Because chances are, if you haven't been within my very close inner circle over nearly the past seven years, you haven't heard these stories. I've decided to put my own hesitation and vulnerabilities aside in hopes that I can help somebody else out there who's currently going through their own journey to realize that you're really not alone. My next wish with this podcast series is to bring knowledge, knowledge to those who are listening who may not be familiar directly with somebody who is blind or partially sighted, so that next time you see someone, you might look at them in a slightly different way, a more positive light, because you might have a little glimpse as to what their life might be like. My vision loss affects every aspect of my life, and we're going to talk about it, family, parenting, education, work, even the little things like cooking, cleaning, and shopping. However, there is a sense of humor that goes along with this all and some pretty funny moments that really should be shared. So I hope to look at the lighter side of things as well. You're not going to only hear my perspective, but occasionally you're going to hear perspectives from those people who are most important in my life. Because I know I've had some pretty amazing people who have been right beside me during this entire experience. And they also have some pretty important insights that really should be shared. I'd like to start off by taking you back to the day that my life completely changed. Although it's been seven years already, I remember the details of that day like it was yesterday. I remember being assisted out of my house down my steps, onto my driveway, and into an ambulance. I was seated with my back to the driver's back on a firm, cold metal seat as I was being rushed away to the hospital. A second paramedic sat in the back with me. He continued to ask me questions, do his assessment, and fill out his paperwork. I remember at one time thinking to myself, focus on what he is saying. My mind was so loud at that time, it was going in a million different directions, and each time he asked me a question or my thoughts were interrupted by the siren, they were then spun in a totally new direction. I literally remember thinking about everything all at once. My husband, my son, my parents, my brother, my job, my family, my life, and all of the moments that were still to come watching my son learn how to ride a bike for the first time, watching him blow up birthday candles, go trick-or-treating, graduate, and even get married. I remember at one point, the paramedic stopped in mid-conversation. He paused for a moment, and then he said to me, Are you in pain? Does it hurt? I remember sitting there for a moment, thinking, No, no. I'm in no physical pain at all, actually. So, 
I replied no and quietly shook my head the same. I also remember thinking, you are such a liar. Irut was in so much pain that every single cell of my body was completely overwhelmed. However, the type of pain that he was asking me about was not the type of pain that I was experiencing. So, I didn't tell him. I didn't say anything at all. Looking back, it is kind of surprising that I had no physical pain at all, considering what had happened. I had experienced what's called a global rupture, and essentially, my eye had popped, and I was left with no sight at all. The paramedic that rode in the back with me was super nice. He did his very best to give me an update as to where our location was as we progressed closer to the hospital. He would say to me, Okay, Becky, we're on Fleet Street now. Okay, Becky, we're on Albert Street now. I had traveled these roads so many times by myself independently that I was able to create a mental image in my mind as to exactly where we were. I remember the ambulance ride that day felt like it took an eternity, but in all actuality, it was probably more like a 10-minute ride with flashing lights and sirens. I don't actually remember getting out of the ambulance that day or maneuvering my way throughout the emergency department. My next piece together memory that I do have was being tucked away in some small examining room within the emergency department itself. I was sitting in the room by myself, so I was just listening. I was listening to everything that was going on around me. I could hear people rushing around hastily, filtering in and out of my room, gathering various supplies and tools. I was seen by a lot of different doctors and nurses that day. Each of them that came in to examine me was slightly unsure as to what the exact protocol was for this particular situation. I myself had slipped into nurse mode, I think someplace back at our house. So each person that came into my examining room that day, I tried to gain information from them. I tried to ask them for an exact description of their physical assessment of my eye. I remember repeatedly asking, what does my eye look like exactly? Is it flat? What does my pupil look like? Is it fixed? Is it dilated? Can you see some sort of tear? Really? All I ended up hearing back was, Becky, there is a lot of blood. There's just so much blood, it's really hard to see anything at all. I remember one ER doctor. He was trying to do an assessment. He had a pen light with him, and he had been flashing it in and around my eye. At one point, he stopped and he said to me, Did you see that? Can you see that at all? At that moment, I wanted nothing more than to at least see a little flicker of his light. But I had to reply to him honestly and say, no, reality was starting to set in and I seriously was wondering if I would never get to see anything ever again. And I was trapped in the dark. I was afraid of what I did know and what I didn't know all at the exact same time. I remember my thoughts being interrupted and reality pulling me back into that examining room. I could hear some footsteps coming down the hall and some familiar voices getting closer to me. My husband and my mom had arrived. 
They were both slightly out of breath, but totally trying to hide it. For the first time that day, I remember feeling slightly at ease. I was no longer alone. They were going to be there with me, right by my side. My amazing husband Brad had the task of making an absolutely horrific phone call that morning after I had been rushed away on the ambulance. He had to call and tell my parents the entire story. He had to tell them that his wife, their daughter, was now entirely blind. We had fought together for so long and so hard to avoid this exact thing from happening. I had lost the sight entirely in my right eye when I was three years old due to juvenile arthritis, glaucoma, and uveitis. The disease had spread into my left eye when I was a child. However, everybody had worked together so hard to preserve the sight that I had for as long as we possibly could. And I was successful up until I was 33 years old. Until this moment. Really, our day had started off fairly typical. Unfortunately, I had woken up not feeling the greatest due to lovely cramps, so I decided to stay home and battle through it in bed. Our three-year-old son had woken up around his typical time, around 6.30 or so. He had crawled out of his bed and into ours, and we had flipped on the cartoons, and he began to watch. At one point, I remember rolling over and rubbing my eye. It wasn't anything strange, aggressive, or out of the ordinary at all. But to my shocking dismay, I experienced the unpredictable. With the simple touch of my own hand, my eye had popped. I actually remember cupping my hand and placing it under my left eye and feeling the liquids of my eye land in it and slowly drip through the cracks of my fingers. I remember being out of breath shocked and completely paralyzed when I told Brad what had happened. Brad quickly grabbed Bennett and he took him out into our living room and flipped on his beloved cartoons. Bennett had no idea what was going on and really, at that point, neither did we. We just knew that it was a very urgent, serious situation and we did not want to upset our son at all. I do, however, remember the last clear image I saw I'm pretty sure it's going to be etched in my mind for the rest of my life. It was nothing bad at all. It was the back of our three-year-old son. After the 911 call was made, it felt like an eternity until the ambulance finally arrived. The reality was, we lived in rural Saskatchewan. We weren't in a major center, and we did have a little bit of a wait. Fortunately, the small community we lived in had some volunteer firefighters, and one of them was a volunteer first responder, and he was at my house within a few short minutes. He really didn't know what to do with me, but he did the very best thing he could have. He kept me calm, and he talked to me while we waited for the ambulance to arrive, and I totally appreciated having him there. Back in the emergency department, I remember trying so hard to give an accurate depiction of my ongoing vision history that had taken place throughout my entire life. As a child, I was diagnosed with juvenile arthritis. 
that affected both my joints as well as my eyes. It had fully taken my sight in my right eye by the time I was three years old. The disease progressed into my left eye. However, my parents, the doctors, and everyone had fought so hard to maintain my remaining sight right up until today. The eye that was suddenly affected that I could no longer see from was my only shot. I remember telling anyone and everyone that came into my room that day that I was a client of Dr. Garcia's. Please, his office is in this building. If you could just tell him I'm here, I'm sure that he will come right down. He will definitely know what to do. Unknown to me at that time, my husband Brad had already made the phone call to Dr. Garcia's office. By simply following the prompts on his automated phone system, my husband was connected to the ophthalmologist who had cared for my eye for the past 20 plus years. Dr. Garcia knew my eye better than anyone else. Dr. Garcia told Brad that he was sitting at the airport waiting to board a flight to Toronto and that he himself was unable to come and see me. I was going to have to see the ophthalmologist on call. I had absolutely no idea who the ophthalmologist on call was, and he had no idea about the ongoing complexities of my case that have taken place for the past 30 plus years. Suddenly, I was going to have to trust this individual with everything. I honestly just contemplated jumping in someone's vehicle and driving to a major center. I thought that perhaps they have some more skilled people who would really know how to save my eye. I only have this one eye, and I am not willing to give it up. I am not done my vision journey. I need this eye. There were so many things that I still needed and wanted to see. I had to keep fighting. A short while later, we were sitting in the on-call ophthalmologist's waiting room. My husband came into the exam room with me, and we both sat silently, waiting for the ophthalmologist to complete his assessment. I had been examined by many ophthalmologists over the years. However, I knew that this exam, I had way more riding on it than ever before. Finally, he was done examining my eye, and he backed up, and we sat in silence. Finally, I said to him, Am I going to be blind for the rest of my entire life? Am I going to be stuck in the dark forever? There was so much tense air in the room, he really did not want to answer this question, I know. But I asked him again, Am I going to be blind for the rest of my entire life? Am I going to be stuck in the dark forever? Please answer me. My world feels like it's spinning out of control and I really just needed to stop. After some hesitation, he finally answered me, Yes. Yes, Becky, I am so sorry, but based on your current situation, yes, you will be in the dark. My head was spinning. I could feel my stomach enter my throat. I was so overrun with emotion. Fortunately, I was able to stop myself from throwing up right then and there in the ophthalmologist's office. I did, however, remove a couple layers of clothes. I was just so hot and I just needed it all to stop. I remember I had so many memories flash in front of my face. They were of past memories and future events that were still to come. I was so sad that I was going to miss out 
on everything. My husband and I used to be able to catch each other's eye from across the room and know exactly what the other was thinking. But the reality was, I was never going to be able to do that again. The next stop was the admitting department. We sat there fairly silently, as I recall, trying to process what had all happened that day. At one point, I realized that I had to go pee. I also remember hesitating significantly about this. After finally getting the confidence up to share my newfound problem with everyone, I remember my mom not hesitating for a second. She said, no worries, I'll take you. As we slowly began to make our way towards the washroom, I remember thinking, okay, this isn't going to be that bad. I trained in this hospital. I've worked in this hospital. I've used this washroom a million times. Besides, I have a really good idea of its general layout. But when we got inside, I was completely wrong. All my pre-existing information was totally useless. I was so turned around and confused by the time we got there, I had no idea where I was or where anything was around me. I actually remember my mom had to come into the stall with me. She had to help me find the toilet. She handed me toilet paper and she even flushed for me. It was rather quiet while the two of us were in that washroom that day. I was just so diligently trying to pay attention to her words and follow what she was telling me to do. She took me over to the sink and positioned my hands under the warm, running water. Then, she handed me some paper towel afterwards. I remember standing there, trying to keep myself together as much as I possibly could. I turned and I faced my mom. I could feel the tears rush towards my face, and at that point, there was nothing I could do to stop them. I was crying so hard. My mom grabbed me and she held me so tight. At one point in time, I'm pretty sure she was actually physically holding me up. At one point, I remember saying to her, Mom, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I'm not strong enough to do this. I knew at that point, I had hit my rock bottom. My mom replied back to me, and she said, Yes, you can do this, and you will do this, because you have a little boy who needs you. It wasn't necessarily the words that she said to me that day, but also the sound of her voice. The confidence that she had amazed me at that moment. And it was exactly what I needed to hear. I've often thought of this conversation over the years, and it gives me that little boost that I need to keep going and to keep fighting. The world, as I once knew it, warm, inviting, familiar and friendly, was going to be different. I remember walking out of that washroom and hearing the heavy door close firmly behind me and knowing from this point forward that I had absolutely no idea what I was doing or how I was going to do it. The theory of family-centered healthcare, I remember, really intrigued me when it was first introduced to me when I was back in nursing school. The reason why I bring it up today is because, yes, I am the one that has physically experienced the trauma of losing my eyesight. However, I believe that each one of my family members has experienced their version of my vision loss as well. So sitting here with me today is my mom. I thought that we could have a little conversation about what exactly was going through her mind 
and I thought that she could share some insights from the family's perspective on what exactly they were thinking back when this all happened on August 23rd, 2013. Mom, I know sometimes we refer to the pep talk you gave me back in the bathroom, but I'm curious, what exactly was going through your mind at that time? What was going through my mind that day? I thought, oh my God, how am I going to help you, Becky? How am I going to pick you up and put you into the right direction? Give you my inner strength as much as I can. So I said right directly to you, Becky, you have no choice in this matter. You have got to get through this. You've got another hurdle that you have got to get over because you have got a little boy that you have got to raise. I guess that's how I gave you my inner strength or tried to give you my inner strength. How has having a visually impaired adult daughter impacted your life now? Well, I guess I'm going to say that, you know, I worry. Worry and concern are one of the biggest issues that I have, and I've always been that way. I try to help you. I worry that I can't help you out enough. I concerned that you are going to get better you know and at the end of the day I guess it is what it is we've we try to help you as much as we possibly can because you do need more help now than you ever did before um we try to take you places that you'd like to go we try to help you out with your shopping experiences and you know we try to help you out around the home with Bennett and when your husband's not there when Brad's not around and, you know, it, it, it's hard for you. We realize that. And so we try as hard as we can. And I guess that's, you know, how it's impacted us is it's just worry and concern. How has this changed, Becky? One example I'm going to give you is how do we go shopping now with you, Becky? Well, we used to just say, we'll meet you here, Becky, or we'll meet you there, Becky. But now, no, we come and we pick you up and we take you shopping. And shopping is very interesting, we go in there with you. We say, okay, Becky, here's the cart. Okay, mom. Okay, Becky, now as you're going down the aisle, there's a pillar to the right. Okay, mom. There's another shopping cart to the left. Okay, mom. And then we go and find what you need, and I will read you the labels. I will tell you the colors. And if it's a produce, you'll say to me, okay, when's the expiry date? So I will tell you what the expiry date is. So... Yes, I guess that has impacted our way of life with shopping and doing extra stuff with you, Becky. But, you know, everything can be handled. It just takes a little bit of time and a little bit of effort. I'm actually surprised that you didn't mention how I commonly greet mannequins when trying to navigate through different clothing stores. That was a very funny experience, Becky. That, I do believe, was at Sears one day, and Becky, you and I had gone shopping, and I I guess I didn't have it at that point, thinking, oh yeah, she's got this, not a problem at all, and so we were in the shoe department, or I was in the shoe department, and milling around looking at different shoes, and all of a sudden, I, I heard you apologizing to somebody, and I thought, what the heck, she's bumped into somebody. Well, in all actuality, it was a mannequin that you had bumped into, and you were profusely apologizing to the mannequin for bumping into her. I did find it quite funny, quite interesting. Um, but, you know, that's Becky. 
So mom, my next question is, what resources or supports do you think would have been really beneficial from the family's perspective when I first lost my sight? You know, Becky, we are a super strong family, which we're very fortunate to be, but however, there are other families out there that aren't. So I do believe that in cases like this, that there should be more resources out there for people that they can obtain. Yeah, I agree. I think that we were sort of trying to reinvent the wheel and create something from the ground up. I remember feeling kind of baffled at first because the only supports that we were actually offered at that time were in-home home care services, which was completely inappropriate. I mean, I had all the supports that I needed. We just didn't know how to do this because really, I, the person who was visually impaired, had absolutely no idea what I was doing. So how were you guys supposed to know, you know, what to do to support me? Like, am I right? Yes, Becky, I think you are totally right with that. So mom, my next question is, if you had the opportunity to provide a piece of advice to somebody else who is going through a similar situation, I'm just curious, what would that be? I guess the advice I would give someone would be to be supportive of that individual. Try to be encouraging to that individual. Let them try what they need to try. They may not do it properly, but let them try. And that, you know, you would be then respectful of their needs. You know that they need things that you may not think that they need, but they do need them. The crisis mode does eventually slow. So I would say try to embrace this. This is the new normal. And that brings us to the end of this episode of The Blind Reality. This episode was written and produced by me, Becky Sarr. Technical support was provided by AMI-audio's Sam Robinson, and the manager of AMI is Andy Frank. I'd like to thank AMI for all your help and support in putting this episode together. I'd like to thank my mom for coming and chatting, and I'd like to thank my family for all your continued love and support. Until next time, if you need a hand, get it. If you can give a hand, give it. Thanks for listening. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.